Well, four out of five. Okay. So we're doing a Q&A after this, is that right? Yeah. Great. Okay. Can I ask some questions as well? Sure. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jeremiah chapter 31. You'll find it in the Bible. Okay. Sort of, you know, after Psalms, before Matthew. Um, and we're going to look at this magnificent promise, quite a long reading, magnificent promise of the new covenant. So find it there and follow through. Uh, Jeremiah 31, and I'm going to start from verse 10, and I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. So that's, um, I'll just wait till you all find it. Okay, and as the rustling of paper decreases, we're there. Okay, hear God's word. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for the work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined. Like an untrained calf, bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. And after I was instructed, I slapped my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourselves guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together with the farmers and those who wander with their flocks. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own sin. 
Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If the fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord. If the heavens above shall be measured and the foundation of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, stretching to the hill of Gareb, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bones and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook of Kidron to the corner of the horse gate towards the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown any more forever. It's a magnificent passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. Thank you that you are the God who takes initiative. Thank you for your purposes to us that we have been seeing as we've been looking our way through the Old Testament. We pray, Father, as we continue to look through the covenant of grace, we pray that we would marvel at what you have done in bringing your people home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to confess. I'm sorry. And Paul, you, oh, sorry, Chris, but pass on to Paul. You'll have to forgive me. I flew Qantas to get here. I've never met a country before that is prouder of its national airline than New Zealand. People, people say to me, did you fly on Air New Zealand? And I say, no, and they, their faces drop. I've had this a few times, and it's just sort of, you know, you know it's, it's somewhere between sympathy and stupidity. So you probably don't get a lot of Qantas ads here, do you? Or you do? There was one ages ago in Australia. It was, it was a really dumb ad. And it's a nice ad, though, and it sort of says what I'm going to say. There's a guy, a businessman, dressed up in a suit, who's hopping into the plane, and he's asked the most stupid question as he gets on the plane, because the flight attendant is there, and she says to him, where are you going tonight, sir? I think it's such a dumb question. I thought, you're the flight attendant. You're meant to be checking his boarding pass. But anyhow, he says, where are you going tonight, sir? I don't know if you got the ad here. You probably didn't, because I'll tell you what's going to happen. And he says, home. And she says, that's our favourite destination. And then Peter Allen comes on with, I still call Australia home, which is probably why it doesn't show in New Zealand. <laughs> and, and, but it always gets me when the flight attendant asks it, so where are you going tonight? Well, same place as you. Um, there's something about home, isn't it? You, you go away, you've been looking forward to the trip. You've probably all done the long trip away. And you've been going for two weeks, three weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. You've been really looking forward to the trip, but there comes a point where you just want to go home. Where you just, I don't know, people speak funny when you're overseas. People, I mean, everything's different when you're overseas. Okay? But you just want to go home. Well, where is home? For most of us, that's a really big issue, the issue of homelessness. 
in Australia. We just had a referendum recently about an Indigenous uh, voice to Parliament. I'm not going to comment on that. If you're not an Indigenous New Zealander, is this your home? People often say to you, where are you from? No, I mean, where are you from, if you can hear the difference? My son, in people say to me, I don't sound Australian. If you want to find someone who meets sounds Australian, you've got to meet my son-in-law. He sounds so Australian. But he doesn't look like me. His parents come from Vietnam. Where's he from? He's from Sydney. No, where are you from? Is this home? Maybe you are a, an Indigenous New Zealander. Is this still home? But of course, it comes at not, it's not just a racial thing. It's not just an ethnic thing. You were born in New Zealand. Your parents were born in New Zealand. Your grandparents were born in New Zealand, regardless of your race. But it doesn't feel like home anymore. I mean, when I grew up, I knew what marriage was. When I grew up, I knew what gender was. When I grew up, people didn't choose their own pronouns. I'm just feeling so dislocated now. I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, I go to a church that's full of millennials. Speaking to Kiwis is much easier than speaking to millennials. I just don't understand their worldview. It's so different. Bring me some boomers any day. <laughs> any psychologist will tell you that one of the biggest issues facing 21st century Australians and New Zealanders is a lack of belonging are really wondering where home is or what home is or when do you, where is that place where you just go, ah, oh, and you're home. We, we long for it. We're constantly becoming. We yearn for home in a sea of relativity. Well, what we're going to look at here in Jeremiah 31, a very long passage, and I'm going to focus down on a couple of verses, is all about going home. It's interesting that this is in the context of the Babylonian uh, exile. Martin Luther, at the time of the Reformation, seems this is a, a Reformation weekend, his uh, really big treatise is of the Babylonian captivity. And basically, his thesis was, just as the children of Israel had been taken off into Babylon in captivity... So he says the Roman Catholic Church at the time had taken the church off into captivity and it needs to come home to where we belong. Where do we belong? Please do not think, please do not think that the church started 500 years ago. The reformers took the church back to how it originally was from the Babylonian captivity. We're not celebrating 500 years, we're celebrating since the time of Moses, since the time of Abraham, since the time of David's, and particularly since the time of Jesus. But of course, they've come home from exile. Well, let's look at this passage, verses 10 to 14, and let's see what it's like in terms of going home from the Babylonian activity. 386 to 387 BC was a bloodthirsty time. It was a terrible time. There were actually three waves of exile from Jerusalem off to Babylon. And the final wave was incredibly bloodthirsty. The temple was sacked and looted. And the temple treasury was taken off to Babylon. People were butchered. People were marched off into exile. And by the rivers of Babylon, we lay down and we wept, which you'll find in the Bible uh, a long time before it became a song. Has God abandoned us? It's the same story we're hearing again and again in the scriptures. And when will we be able to go home? And what will home be like? The, the promises here in this passage are just over the top of what this new covenant is going to be like that's going to take us home. Follow with your Bibles. I'm just going to jump around a few verses. You there? Firstly, it will be a place of abundance. Look at verse 12. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine and the oil, the young and the flocks and the herds. It's going to be a place of joy. Look at verse 13. 
Then maidens will dance and be glad, and young men and old men as well. It will be a place of worship. Look at verse 14. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty. When has that happened? I've been to Israel many times. I don't particularly want to go there at the moment. When has that been the case? It hasn't. It hasn't been the case. Look at some of the other prophecies. Maybe, do I, maybe just listen to these as I go outside of Jeremiah for a bit. Let me go to Isaiah 35. Listen carefully. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 35 verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow will flee away. Listen to Ezekiel 36. The land that was laid waste will become the Garden of Eden. And in Isaiah 65, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. It's a place of peace, a place of abundance, a place of the Lord's blessing. Do you know what it is? It's home. Where do you find home? Heaven? Never been there. Don't know what that's going to like. Do you feel that this world is your home? God created it to be your home. I mean, back in the beginning, God created heavenly creatures and earthly creatures. Now, this is an exercise of self-identification, okay? I'm not going to ask you to choose your own pronoun, but you can if you want. That's fine. But I want you to self-identify. What are heavenly creatures called? Angels. What are earthly creatures called? Lots of things. Elephants and kangaroos and kiwis and human beings. Okay? They're earthly creatures. Okay. Time for confession. Any heavenly beings in the room? Any angels? There probably are that I can see. You can put your hand up if you want. Does anyone want to self-identify as an earthly creature? I do. Definitely. This is the world for which I was made. This is home. Doesn't feel like it, does it? I hope it's going to get better than this. And it will. But when the ransom of the Lord's return. And so the whole Bible is a story of coming home. Of the ransomed, of those who have been ransomed to another coming home and so let me let me tell you the story of the bible we're talking about covenant theology today okay let me give you covenant theology okay we're in jeremiah 31 no better place to do it there are two covenants in the bible and i'm not going to say the old testament and the new testament the first covenant in the bible doesn't go for very long it's genesis chapter one and two and god puts adam in the garden and says obey we call that the covenant of works. That is what is required. How well did he go at that? Not that good. And so from Genesis chapter 3, we had an argument about this at our faculty in preparation for this this week, but I'll tell you what I think. Until Revelation 20 is the second covenant. I don't know what to do with 21 and 22, but we'll talk about that later over morning, after, tomorrow if you want. What is that story? That story is God's initiative of grace to take us home. It's a story of homecoming. Where do we start in Genesis 3? I'll tell you where we start. We start in Eden. Where do we end up in Revelation 22? We end up with the same garden, with the tree of life, but this time within a city as we have gone back to the garden for which we were created. Returning from the Babylonian exile is likened to returning to the Garden of Eden. You see, 
I flew over your beautiful island last night. And I say this every time I come because I can never believe it every time. Have you ever driven, flown over Australia? It's awful. I know it's beautiful in a different way. But where you live is stunning. It's stunning. Did God give you second best? He didn't. I'm not going to tell you to do this because you can do this during other talks. I'm going to tell you to stare out the window. And if you, yeah, you can do it if you want to. I'm looking out the window. There are so many shades of green that I can see even at the moment. This world is beautiful. You are an earthly creature and God gave you the best. God doesn't give second best. But here's the problem. Sin has destroyed it. The problem is not the world. The problem is sin. And so God's initiative of grace, God's gracious favour, is to meet us where we are in our sinful behaviour and disobedience and take us home, to the home for which we were made. And so within that, let me use a big word for you, within the meta-narrative, which is the big narrative of the Bible, which is exile from Eden and going home, to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, we have, as we've seen today, several exiles and returns. We see an exile from the land that is given to Abraham down to Egypt. And from being down in Egypt, so they are brought back to the promised land with, again, promises of milk and honey and Eden. It's the restoration of God's purposes. But, of course, they keep on going and disobeying. disobeying. And so they get sent off into exile again. And that's the exile we've got here in 586 BC. And by the rivers of Babylon, by the Kiba River, they lie down and they weep because they long to go back to home. But even when they get back home, the problem of sin is still there. But God is working in the covenant of grace, starting in Genesis chapter 3, right through to solve the problem. And the problem is not with home. The problem is with sin in the home. And the problem of sin in the home is because the dragon is working. The serpent is working. And when we get to the end of the millennium, which will be a talk for another day, the, the, the dragon is thrown into the abyss at the end of Revelation chapter 20 because the problem is solved and we can now go back to where we were created for, to where we belong. The covenant of grace, which has many iterations, many uh, developments even, comes to a final fulfilment when we come to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21. And so within that, in superlative language, Jeremiah promises a new covenant. But it's a new covenant within that covenant. It's not as though God has changed his mind. It is a covenant that will endure. And is that for which we long. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, the fact that you feel hunger which is something I haven't felt today. The fact that you feel hunger <laughs> means that there is such a thing as food. The fact that you feel homeless means that there is such a thing as home. And that is that for which you were created. And what marks that home is the place where God dwells. And so what's God going to do in one of these mini exiles on the way through from Babylon? We see in verse 11 that the Lord will ransom Jacob from exile. So the word there, ransom, is an ownership term. He's going to get Jacob, and that's a picture for Israel, and instead of Jacob being owned by evil, Jacob will be ransomed to belong again to whom Jacob initially was owned by, and that means God himself. It's a slavery term. Slaves were redeemed. They are brought back from their slavery. You won't find that fulfilment in a bit of ge geography in the Middle East. It's never been there. It's not going to get there until we get to the time when the whole earth will be restored. Would you want to go home? Hope so not now, then here's how do we get there. The answer in verse 15. Look at verse 15. This is what the Lord says. 
a voice is heard in Rama, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is how you get to go home, through the tears of Rachel. Who is Rachel? Jacob's wife. Let me tell you the story of the tears of Rachel that is so central to this passage and how it relates to going home. The tears of Rachel are mentioned three times in the Bible. The first time we see the tears of of Rachel is in Genesis 35. We'll go there in a second. The second time is here in Jeremiah 31 verse 15. And the third time is in Matthew chapter 2. So let's go through Rachel's tears. The first one, if you want to look at it, Jeremiah 35 verses 16 to 19. Sorry, Genesis 35, 16 to 19. Let me just find it here. So the story is that Jacob is bringing his children back and they get to Ramah and we get to verse 16 and hear the word. Then they journeyed from Bethel where they were still some distance from Ephrath, that's Bethlehem, and Rachel went into labour and she had hard labour. And when her labour was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Ephrath, another word for Ephrath, is Ramah. It's the same place. What's happening? Genesis 35. They're heading back. When will Israel be established as God's people? Well, there are lots of ways to answer that question. Here's one answer, though. When all the tribes of Israel are born. Who is the last of the tribes of Israel? Benjamin. Benjamin is born through terrible circumstances. His mother's having a shocking labor. She's dying and she knows she's dying. And with her tears, she gives birth to the last of the tribes of Israel. Israel is born through the tears of Rachel. Let's now come to Jeremiah 31.15. The second time we hear about Rachel's tears is in Jeremiah 31 verse 15. What's happening here? The Babylonians have come in and they've sacked the town. They've destroyed the town. It's literally going up in smoke. And what they do is they get the people from Jerusalem and they take them to a staging point, eight kilometres from, from Jerusalem. The place is Ramah. It's very close to Bethlehem. In fact, today, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the, uh, the wall that goes around Jerusalem and this divides the West Bank, places like Bethlehem from Jerusalem, the traditional place for the tomb of Rachel, I've visited it, is actually inside the wall. It's kind of wedged between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. What is happening there? It's a staging place for exile. Now, have you ever seen World War II movies about how uh, there were staging places by the Germans before they took Jews to Auschwitz and such places? It's horrendous watching it. Uh, my mother-in-law, who's still alive, is a Holocaust refugee later became a Christian. They're horrendous stories. And here are mothers trying to get to their children. Here are fathers reaching out for their wives. We're at a staging place. There are tears everywhere. That's what it was like. We are at the tears of Rachel before she is taken into exile. But from exile, we're told in Jeremiah 35, through the tears of Rachel, she who was in exile will be brought home. 
Let's go to the third reference to, to the tears of Rachel in the Bible. Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. You know the story while you're getting there. In Matthew chapter 2, at Ephrath, which is Bethlehem, which is right next door to Ramah, all the same place, we have Herod, who is just getting a little bit paranoid, he's always paranoid, uh, has found out that all these baby boys have been born in Bethlehem and he wants to be the king of the Jews. And so what does he do? He does the slaying of the innocents that's happening there. Matthew records that for us and look at his words in verse 18. He says, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Through the death of Rachel, Israel is born with Benjamin. Through the tears of Rachel, who metaphorically speaking, this is what Jeremiah is doing, it's as though Rachel is crying in her tomb at this point in Jeremiah 31, as she's crying again for the death of her children, like she cried for her son as they're being taken into, Israel, into exile, but they're brought home. And now we see in Matthew chapter 2, we see the one who is the great David's greatest son, the slaying of the innocents. We see Rachel again is crying for her children at the very same place at Bethlehem as again they have to go into exile. As we go to another exile now in the New Testament where Joseph and Mary have to flee from Bethlehem and they have to go down to Egypt because of protection, because to be safe from Herod's uh, slaying of the innocents that's happening there. And Rachel is crying again. Jesus lives as an exile. Exiled from what we would see as normal. I mean, foxes have holes to live, don't they? And birds of the air have nests. But where are you going to sleep tonight? Because the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Where would Jesus have called home? I mean, his family thought he was crazy. The authorities are trying to kill him. His friends are deserting him. He's a homeless wanderer. And even when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and with very feminine imagery here, you can see in verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. It's the tears of Rachel. It's Rachel weeping, metaphorically, hear me right, over children being taken into exile, over not being at home. Jesus dies as an exile. He dies outside the city walls. He dies outside of justice. He dies having had a meal in a borrowed room. And who gets to sleep in a borrowed tomb? Jesus. He dies as an exile. But the gospel is about the reversal of Rachel's tears and of bringing us home. Look at verse 16, back in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping, and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded. Sorrow and grief do not have to be the last word. Rachel's tears are not the last word for Israel, for Rachel's tears gives birth to Benjamin, that gives birth to Israel. The exile is not the final word, for the exile comes back to re-establishment in the land. When we get to Matthew chapter 2, the weeping of the mothers over the slaying of the innocent in Bethlehem is not the final word, because God will bring his people back from exile and will restore them. That's the story of the New Testament. It's returned from exile. You see, we read the parables of the Bible and we think the parables are all about us. No, they're not. They're about the kingdom. Jesus says that. This is a parable of the kingdom. Oh, I'm the king. No, you're not. Oh, once you understand the kingdom, then you understand how it works. But let me tell you a story. It's not true, but just let, here we go. It's Friday night and your 16-year-old son, you know, you've got four kids, but he's that kid. Uh, he's, he hasn't come home from school. Four o'clock turns to five o'clock. 
Five o'clock turns to seven o'clock. You think, where is he? You start to ring up his mates and say, where is he? I don't know. Was he at school today? Yeah, he was at school today. Seven o'clock turns to 10 o'clock. You start to ring the hospitals and you ring the police. Friday turns to Saturday. The police have got a search happening. You're beside yourself. You haven't slept last night. The tears of Rachel have flowed from you all night. What's happened? Saturday turns to Sunday. And on Monday, the police say we're diving through the local rivers, looking at the dams. We're looking at places, the known places, to see what could have happened. That turns to Tuesday. How are you now? How are the tears of Rachel? To Wednesday, to Thursday, to on Friday afternoon, two police knock on your front door. And you open the door and you freeze. And they say, we found your son and he's fine. What do you do? It's a story of rebellious exile, isn't it? What do you do? I know what my first reaction would be. I know what I should do. Astoundingly, you run out and you greet him. This is what you really think. You, you put a robe on him. You put a ring on his finger. For he was, he's dead, but now he's alive. It's not a story about you when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. It's a story about Israel. It's a story about the covenant. It's a story because Jesus said these are covenant stories. I know it's about you. I know you can apply it to individuals and it's right and proper to do so. But when Jesus tells a story, he says, this is, this is what Israel was like. She was separated from God. But when they come back, does God say, well, you shouldn't have done that and you'll be in your room and you'll be grounded? No. What do I call that? Can you give me a word for that? Grace. That is the repeated story. I've just told you the story of the prodigal son. It is a repeated story of the Bible that God welcomes us home. Repentant, disciplined, and embraced in grace. Look back at how it's described for us here in Jeremiah 31. I have surely heard, Jeremiah 31, verse 18 and 19, I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. You disciplined me like an unruly calf, and I've been disciplined. Restore me, and I will return because you are the Lord my God. After I strayed, I repented, and I came to understand. I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight? I have a good friend, this is several years ago, who had and still has a very rebellious daughter. When she was 14 years old, she used to run away from home constantly. And she'd be in a part of Sydney that's not the greatest part of Sydney. And she'd be hanging out with the drug dealers and the crime and the prostitutes and all that sort of stuff there at 14. And I'd sometimes speak to him and I'll tell you what he did. She'd pity every night when she didn't come home. He's a Christian. He went looking for her. He went looking for her. Do you know why she eventually came home? He found her many times, dragged her home, brought her back. Her friends, or so-called friends, said, you're an idiot. They said to her, in probably more colourful language, we've got nowhere to go home to. You've got a father who loves you. Go home. It was the fellow druggies and all those people who told her to go home because they were longing for a home to go home to. And she had a loving father who pursued her and pursued her and pursued her and pursued her. That's the story of the Bible. That's the embrace of the covenant. That though we sinned against God in the garden, though the covenant of grace begins in Genesis chapter 3, that God welcomes us back with grace. That's why we call it the covenant of grace. The problem is not with where we live. The problem is sin in the garden. 
And so what will this new covenant be like? Well, God is going to even bring this to a fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. And there are three, five, sorry, I will statements in verses 31 to 34. Let's go through these quickly to see how this will work. There will be a new covenant that is a renewal within the same covenant that will be a covenant of reconciliation. Uh, look at Jeremiah 31, 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord. Here's the first I will statement. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It is a covenant of reconciliation. Now, please note, you've got to know the understanding of the Old Testament from this. He's going to do it with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That is the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And they weren't the best of friends. And what's going to happen? He's going to reconcile them together. You can't have home without reconciliation. When we come to the New Testament, what is the only answer to the problem in Israel today? The gospel. Because not only is the gospel about the reconciliation between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, I'll tell you what, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, all are one in Christ Jesus. I'm looking around this room. You really are a motley crew. <laughs> some of you are young. Some of you are older. Some of you speak different languages at home. I've heard some Portuguese today. I've heard some French today. I've heard some in ununderstandable Dutch today. I don't know how you do it. It's all this guttural stuff. You really are a motley crew. I could go on and on. I mean, have a look around. They're not like you. Not only is this new covenant has reconciliation between the North and Southern Kingdom, male and free male, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, all one in Christ Jesus. That's astounding. Secondly, verse 33. Look, listen for the second I will. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. It's going to happen after a time. And we need to have the New Testament on board where Hebrews chapter 8 talks about this and refers back to Jeremiah 31 and says that this new covenant comes of the reconciliation of going home happens at the time of Jesus. He is the one who brings about the new covenant. Number three. Thirdly, verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Here's the problem of the old covenant. There is no problem with the old covenant, but it's all external. God gave laws written on tablets. He had priests. They were external. There were Levitical ordinances. They were external. It was all external. But what's God going to do? Instead of the law being written just on tablets, he's going to write on your heart. He's going to renew your heart. He's going to change you from within that you can follow him. You're going to have be totally reborn. You're going to have regeneration. You're going to be born again in this new covenant. It's still the same covenant, but I tell you what, it's so much better to live in the new covenant than in the old covenant. It's still the same covenant. But we've been given the Spirit, as we'll be looking at tomorrow, which renews us internally, changes everything. Fourthly, we see, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's astounding. What's today about? Today's about the covenant of grace. We've got a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. Can I summarize that for you? I can. Can I summarize for you the message of the Bible? Can I summarize for you what you long for to go home? Here it is. I will be your God and you will be my people. Then you're home. You know, those of you who are parents, please do not be your children's friend. Don't be their best mate. My parents have both passed away, as is the case for many of you. I reckon you become an adult when your parents pass away. 
there are different phases of becoming an adult, but when your parents pass away, there's kind of no one above you. It'd just be nice to go home to mum or to dad. I don't want God to be my friend. I don't want mum or dad to be my friend. I want them to be mum and dad. And by the way, if you've got brothers and sisters, can they be your friends? Well, they can, but sorry, you're stuck with them. I mean, I have a brother, I have a sister. I want them to be my brother and my sister. I don't want them just to be my friends. There is, there is appropriateness and beauty. And I can think of growing up with my mother and my father and my brother and my sister and we're there and we're home. It's beautiful, isn't it? But now I have other wonderful relationships. I can think of my my wife. I don't want my wife to be my friend. I'm a husband. She's my wife. And I don't want to be the best mates of my kids. I want to be a good dad to my kids because that's what they want. And when we sit down to Christmas dinner this year, you know, we'll be there with my wife and my children and my grandchildren. I don't want to be a parent to my grandchildren. That's so boring. I want to be a grandparent. Okay, we, we get on really well with my grandchildren because we have the same common enemy. Okay, so... <laughs> You're home when you are in appropriate relationships. You know, and I couldn't care less if I met with them in New Zealand, Australia or Botswana. It's the relationship that makes the home. And this is the, what God says. If you understand this, you're home. I will be their God and they will be my people. When you understand that, that he is God, and after those whole week of disappearing from school and the grief and the, the tears of Rachel, that he welcomes you home in forgiveness, in reconciliation, then we are home fifthly the fifth i am i will statement which is so central to all of it it's amazing after that terrible week of agonizing over that child in verse 34 what allows this to happen for i will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more love does not keep a record of wrong as far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove our sin from us. This is the blessing of the new covenant. The new covenant is that which will take us home. And what is it that allows us to, take, to go home so he will be our God and we will be his people? What is it that allows us to have reconciliation with Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave and free? It's because we have forgiveness of sins. And so how do we have forgiveness of sins? Well, Jesus was with his disciples one time and it was just before he died and he picked up a cup and he said, this cup is, the, is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. We come home through the tears of Rachel when she cried, metaphorically speaking, as Jesus had to go through exile again down to Egypt, but he comes back and he bears the sin of Israel, that in the bearing of the sin of Israel, there might be the forgiveness of sins, that now that there is the forgiveness of sins, there is reconciliation, there is reconciliation. And you know what I can say? <sighs> you are my God and I'm your person. I will be your God and you will be my people because we have come home. And so we look forward to that which will bring us finally home. The problem this, with this world is not this world. The problem with this world is the problem of sin. And Jesus has dealt with sin to bring us forgiveness, to save the problem of alienation, and to bring us home to where we belong. 
And so we anticipate going back to the home for which we were created, a home of perfect relationships, a home of abundance. That is what God promises through the covenant of grace. That's what he meant back in Genesis chapter 3. And the story is being unpacked again and again and again and again through the Bible until we see what has happened in the coming of the Lord Jesus who fulfills it. But even in God's forbearance, the full number of the elect have not come in. So Peter tells us in God's patience, he's holding off, waiting for the full number of the elect to come in when Jesus will return and he will return all things to new because we've come home to right relationship. And the fact that you feel homeless means there is such a place as home. Our world is full of homelessness. Our world is full of people looking for home in serial relationships. Our world is full of people with estrangement. Never before, sociologists tell us, has Western society known loneliness like it knows today. Our desire for independence and for freedom has meant we are one of the loneliest generations that has ever lived. We are always travelling and never arriving. What will bring us home? The tears of Rachel. Of recognising that it is in Jesus who comes back, Jesus who is exiled for us beyond justice, beyond all of those things, who brings us home to the core of the problem, which is forgiveness. And when the prodigal return home, the father says, I will be your God in Jeremiah 31, and you will be my people. And when we arrive at that point, we're home. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's not a new story. It's the covenant of grace which goes from Genesis 3 all the way through to at least Revelation 20. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for this amazing story of bringing us home. It's not just by the rivers of Babylon that your people laid down and wept because today in many parts of the world we continue to weep. But we thank you, Father, that through tears yet we see your faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness at the times of Rachel, at the time of Jeremiah, but particularly when he who was born in Ephrath, in Bethlehem, he who was exiled on our behalf, not only to Egypt, but particularly to the cross, then in him comes the crushing of the serpent's head as we anticipate the new heavens and the new earth and that even now in him, we have that relationship with you where you, our Father, are our God and we are your people. And so we are home. Help us to understand that, Father. Help us to understand your fatherhood. Help us to understand each other as brothers and sisters. Help us to understand the reconciliation that is ours. Thank you that we are people of the new covenant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.